Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. This morning we're continuing our study through the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to be looking at Paul's insight about the mystery. Dun, dun, dun. No, it's not that kind of mystery. Uh, our main text is Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. Uh, just for some really brief context, because uh, we're going to be taking a larger chunk of, of verses this morning. Uh, Paul just has spent a, a good portion of his letter, the, the second half of chapter 2, talking about what Jesus did for Gentiles, pretty amazing things, then what he did in making Jews and Gentiles united together as one new humanity, one new people group united under him and in him, and then talking about how amazing that oneness is by letting us know that Jews and Gentiles have been made a part of the same kingdom, the same family, and the same temple. But, but now he's going to provide insight on the mystery, which he first kind of briefly mentioned in chapter 1, so that we're all brought into the know on this thing that was previously hidden, Paul's going to let us know about, that has now been revealed. And I think just right off the bat, these are those things where it, it, we, we are so appreciative for what we have um, as disciples of Jesus that he, he hasn't withheld things from us, not that we know everything about God that there is to know, but that there is so much that he has clued us into, he has brought us into the know about because he wants us to really know him. He, he wants us to know who he is and what he's done and who we are in him and, and what our purpose is in this world and what he's seeking to, to do and what a blessing it is to have a God who's that sort of open-handed about himself, that open about himself when there's different religions and cults and things where everything's so elusive and so secret and you got to be a part of this sort of initiate sort of group thing and we'll bring you in and over time you'll start to kind of, maybe you'll learn some things and we'll bring you in like a some weird inner circle of, of information and God's just like, I'm laying it all out for you in this book. You have access to everything that every other believer for the last 2,000 years has had about God. I don't know, there's just something so sweet, so, um, so powerful that, that God just makes himself that accessible and knowable by us. And just a short little quote from Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Never caught the Bible bus before. I could just, yeah, exactly. In my mind, before he even wrote this commentary, he's going, beloved. And I was going to try and do it in a J. Vernon McGee voice, but I'm not going to do it because it's going to be bad. He said this, just a short little thing here. He said, this is the final chapter in the doctrinal section, section of this epistle. We have learned that the church is a body and the church is a temple. Now we learn that the church is a mystery, my dearly beloved. I just preface or kind of postscript that one. Anyways, so with that in mind, and, and you know, we, we talked about that early on, that the, the book is 
kind of evenly divided. We see this doctrinal, heavily doctrinal section of the book, the first three chapters, then a very heavily practical uh, last half of the book. We're, we're looking at what it means to be seated with Christ. We're going to look, what it, uh, look at, in, starting in chapter 4, what it looks like to walk in Christ, walk with Christ, walk these things out. And uh, so important for us to know that there's, um, he's not going, hey, go walk it all out and I'll, I'll, I'll try to like work these things into your life. He's going, hey, like sit with me. Let me work some of these, some of these things into you. Let's grow you because when we're, Rooted in Christ, man, it becomes so much easier to live out things that the Lord has called us to because we know what he's he said about us. He's know what he said about himself. And so with that in mind, uh, as we get into our first section of verses, verses 1 through 7, let's just begin with verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the, uh, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for you. I read that so weird just now. I don't know what was going on. Let's try that again. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. You ever just like read something? You're like, how, what, where was I? Where's the comma at? Anyways, I'm a real person, people. Um, this verse is one of the internal evidences that shows that, that Paul wrote this letter. Like, if you weren't sure early on, like, yeah, he said, hey, I'm Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, but like, hey, it's still me. It's still Paul. I'm the one writing this thing. If you're confused at all, if somebody had some idea that it, maybe it was somebody else, it's me. And, uh, but, but this is also one of a few times in this letter where Paul mentions being a prisoner or being in chains. And... We can see here, even just from what Paul writes, that Paul understood the, the spiritual reality behind his situation, be, behind his circumstances, which helped him to see his situation, to see his circumstances through a different lens. Paul didn't see himself as a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say, Paul, a prisoner of Rome. He says, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the Gentiles. Now, on one hand, it reminds us, the reason why Paul was in chains was actually because of his, his heart for and his mission to Gentiles. In fact, the reason he was arrested, this arrest eventually leading to him appealing to Caesar, getting him to Rome, was because the, uh, some of the Jews at the temple in Jerusalem thought that Paul had brought a Gentile into the temple courts where, the, where Gentiles were not allowed to go. And, and an interesting fun fact, that Gentile that they thought Paul brought in, which they were mistaken about, was Trophimus the Ephesian. So you wonder if like in some ways the Ephesian believers kind of thought like, it's our fault. It's our fault that you're there. We're to blame. And, and Paul's going, guys, it's actually Jesus who has me here. It's not your fault. You're not to blame. God wanted me here. Rome wasn't ultimately keeping Paul in chains. It was Jesus. Jesus wanted Paul there. He 
had a plan for Paul there and was using Paul there in, in powerful ways in reaching Gentiles with the gospel. And this letter that Paul's writing, along with the other prison epistles, which just sounds really tough, were fruit of the ministry that God gave to Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome, awaiting his time to stand before Caesar Nero. This perspective that he was the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles helped Paul to not miss out on what God had for him and wanted to do in him and through him while he was a prisoner. And, and I just think for us, just right off the bat, what a great example for us because oftentimes we look at our circumstances and we feel like, where's God in this thing? And we're so focused on the why, what, God, why are you, why am I here? Why is this happening? Where are you, Lord? And what are, what are you doing in this? How, how can you be, how can you be in this? And, and just this, this eternal perspective, if you will, that God gave to Paul where he's going, Jesus has me here. My chains are in Christ. Which means that ultimately, he's in control. He's got me. He can get me out. He brought me here. And he can use me when, when all of this just looks like a mess. And, and really, I don't even know what's going to happen when I, when I go before Caesar. That might be it. That might be off with his head sort of moment. And for us to be able to go, Lord, help me. Give me a heavenly, eternal perspective. Give me a, a different sort of lens on the stuff that I'm going through that just doesn't make sense. I don't like it. I want to get out of it. I don't see how you're in it. But Lord, help me to see you here with me because I know that you are. And maybe for some today, that's just a good word sort of just right off the bat. Lord, would you help me? Would you impart that sort of perspective and lens to me? So that I don't miss out on what you're trying to do, what, you're, what you are doing right now. Not when you get me out of this thing, not when I make it past the trial, but right now in the midst of it. So let's continue on. Paul's going to give a reminder about the mystery and, and tell us how it was revealed. And just so the text sort of flows in the right way, let's start back in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. In, in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul mentioned the dispensation of the fullness of times. But here... He mentions the dispensation of, of the grace of God which was given to me for you. Now, that word dispensation, just as a reminder in verse 2, two 
refers to a stewardship, not a Jimmy stewardship, not a Stuart Little ship. They're trying to connect with the old and the young here. No, I'm just kidding. What kind of ship has a steward on it? Anyways, it, refer, it refers to, sorry guys, it refers to a stewardship or administration, a, a method of tending to or managing the affairs of a group of people. So God's grace for Gentiles was something that was given to Paul as a stewardship, not for Paul to hoard God's grace to himself but so that Paul would be used by God to bring the gospel of grace to Gentiles. Our understanding of the grace of God is as clear and understandable as it is because of, in large part, the revelation God gave to Paul regarding his grace. But I also want us to see here that God's grace is for you. It's for me. It's for us. It's, it's available right now, always in the present, as none of us are guaranteed another moment of life. But God's grace, just as Paul said, his grace to you, Ephesians, you Gentiles, that God this morning has grace for you and for me. But in verse 3, Paul starts to talk about the mystery. Again, he mentioned the mystery Already in chapter 1, but now here in chapter 3, he's going to mention the mystery three times, just in the verses we're studying today, uh, to give insight into that mystery. But let's be clear about what Paul is saying when when he uses the word mystery. It's important to understand in its biblical usage that this word does not refer to something that is that, is, that, that never is made known. I mentioned this back in chapter one. It's not like the old Unsolved Mysteries TV show. But according to the Bible Knowledge Commentary, refers to a previously hidden truth now unveiled by God's revelation. So, so Paul received special divine revelation from God regarding something that was previously hidden from mankind in other ages, or that word ages could be translated generations, but had now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to his apostles and prophets, those that were given that foundation-laying role as we looked at in our study last week. And Paul basically says in verses 3 and 4, look guys, I wrote briefly about the mystery already, but I, I want you to understand, I want you to grasp As you read this letter, what's been imparted to me by God? What I've been given knowledge about regarding the mystery of Christ, Paul would say, I want you to understand because God wants you Gentiles to be in the know about something that pertains directly to you. These things were were hidden in past ages, past generations, as Paul says in verse 5. These things have now been revealed in the church age, the age of grace, revealed by the Spirit of God to the holy holy apostles and prophets who were appointed by God in the early church. So notice, Paul didn't have the market cornered on revelation from God. 
about the mystery. But he notes that the other apostles and prophets who the Spirit of God called and appointed had also been given revelation about this. And now in verses 6 and 7, Paul's going to make it clear what the mystery is. So look at those verses. Verse 6 and 7 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So what is this mystery, this thing hidden in past ages or past generations that's now been revealed by the Spirit of God to the holy apostles and prophets? Well, we see it in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. And this really reinforces what Paul wrote some years earlier in his writing to the churches of Galatia, just something if you want to do a little homework Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, if you write that down and, and check it out later, it, it really provides like a little just a little bit more depth to what Paul is even writing here. Not that he references mystery explicitly in Galatians, but we see it clearly how this is connected. But listen, that the inheritance that once only belonged to those who descended from Abraham now also belong to any Gentiles who put their faith in Jesus Christ to the point where Gentiles are now fellow heirs, sharing uh, in the same inheritance as believing Jews, now part of the same body and now partakers of God's promise in Christ through the gospel. This was the mystery that was hidden in past generations, but has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, no one saw this coming. No one saw it coming. No one ever would have thought, nor are there any Old Testament scriptures that reveal that God would make Gentiles fellow heirs with his people, the Jews. That he would make them part of the same body, united together as one people, where the Gentiles would actually be partakers, fellow sharers of his promise. But this is what Jesus has done. This is what his gospel, the good news about Jesus, makes abundantly clear. This is what has been provided through the cross of Christ, and it really is good news it's good news because before this people thought well if you want to be a part of the people of God you got to become a Jew to kind of have a part with the Jews so you know you men you get circumcised you start going by the law you start according you know doing your life in accordance with the sacrificial system like try to live up to the 613 laws of do's and don'ts but still, even then, there was like, you're in the outer court. You're in the court of the Gentiles. You can't get closer. You're not really fully a part of the people. You're always feeling like an outsider to some degree. And that was kind of in the Jewish mindset. That was like, cool. You guys, if you want to be, you, you become like us to be with us. 
And now in Christ, he's going, no, 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 that's not how it's working. What I've wanted to do is something completely new. Because you're not coming to me on the basis of the law. You're not coming to me on the basis of old covenants. You're coming to me on the basis of what I provided for you through my sacrificial death upon the cross. And for now, for that to be extended, not just to the Jewish people, but to Gentiles as well, man, that would have blown every Jewish person's mind. They're like searching, like, let's get the scrolls out. What's happening here? And, and Paul's like, no, like you're not gonna find it there. You're not gonna find it there, but, but understand this has always been in the mind of God to do. He withheld it in past generations, but in the present, he's working all these things out. He's giving this revelation. He's revealing these things that he's, done, he's doing and he's done. And Paul continues in verse seven by saying, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Paul became a minister, and I know that we oftentimes, when we hear the word minister, see the word minister this anywhere in Scripture, that we oftentimes just associate it with the pastor, the, the church leader, the minister. It's the minister. This word minister is not an elevated term. It just means servant, table waiter. Like, that's, that could be anybody. That's anybody. And Paul's going, I became a servant to the gospel. My life is inseparably connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this ministry to the gospel was according to the gift of the grace of God that was given to Paul. So, the ministry of the gospel was a gift of God's grace. Paul didn't see it as a chore. He didn't see it as a burden. He saw it as a gift sourced in the grace of God given to him by the effective working of his power. How did Paul carry out and fulfill this gospel ministry that God had given to him as a gift of grace? Well, not in his own power, not because he just worked hard enough and had enough self-discipline, not because he was naturally gifted with words or naturally gifted with people even. No, he carried it out by the effective working of God's power. Guys, notice this. God's power effectively works. God's power effectively works. That, that word effective working, or those two words, actually is one word in the Greek. And it's where we get our English word energy. It, it carries the sense of the operation of something, that the process or manner of, of functioning. So, so God's power helps us to function and carry out the activities that God desires us to operate in. And sometimes those things don't seem overtly supernatural. Because we're just going about our day. And we're just talking to somebody. And, 
And it might seem like something, I don't know why I'm doing this little step thing behind my pulpit. You can't even see what I'm doing. My feet are hidden from you. But you're going about your day. And you're doing some really normal sorts of things even that don't seem overtly like the power of God at work. And yet the the divine perspective here is that God's power is effectively working. It's helping you and me to function, to just carry out our day, to live a life that would honor and please and glorify Jesus Christ and be a witness to other people. And we could discount that so easily. We could just so normalize it in our minds that it doesn't, we're not even thinking about how God's power is effectively working, but it is. It is. But God's power is also just really powerful. That word power there is where we get our English word dynamite. It carries the sense of uh, possession of a controlling influence or often understood as manifesting influence over reality in a supernatural power. It's the same word for power that Jesus used in Acts 1 verse 8 when he told his disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit had come upon them and they would be witnesses to him in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Not every aspect of power seems really supernatural to us. But that also doesn't mean that there's no supernatural power made available to us. God's power is working. God's power is at work. Do you know that he's still healing and working miracles and intervening in lives and providing? And Do we realize that every time someone who's dead in sin and trespasses that puts their faith in Christ, that that is a mind-blowing miracle from God? That's the power of God at work in someone's life. They were dead and now they're alive. They were blind, but now they see. They were in darkness and now they're in the, the kingdom of light. You and I, if we've put our faith in Christ, we are walking miracles in that sense. We are a walking testimony to the power of God. We can't discount that. And Paul's going, look, God's power has been a work in me. It's helping me to just go about my day, but it's also helping me to be the witness that I am, to carry out the ministry that God has given me. God had grace and power for Paul. And though we don't have the same calling or ministry as Paul, God has grace and power for us too in whatever it is that he calls us to and he has for us to walk in as we serve him and make our lives about Jesus and his gospel. But, but let's move into our second section of verses here, verses 8 through 13, where Paul's going to give insight into the purpose of the mystery. And let's first read verses 8 and 9. Verse 8, Paul says, To me, 
who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Now, the, the dispensation of grace that had been given to Paul, right, the stewardship, the revelation of the mystery of Christ that had been given to Paul, the, the role, the spiritual office that Paul had been appointed to by the Holy Spirit to be an apostle and prophet and all the ways that God used him did not puff Paul up with pride. Instead, it humbled him incredibly. Paul in verse 8 says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. Added to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, in the beginning of verse 10, Paul said, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. And then in verse, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said this. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Least than all the saints, Right? Less than least of all the saints. <laughs> Not worthy to be called an apostle. The least of the apostles. The chief of sinners. That like strike anybody else as like really out of place. This seems really odd that Paul would say any of that. Probably for us because we're going like, we elevate Paul. We're like, he, I mean, he was like, man, he, he, he was closer to God than any of us. The revelation that God gave him. I mean, this amazing mystery that's been revealed and the miraculous things that God did through Paul's life, the way that the gospel just went out and took over what we know now is like the, the European sort of continent and, and, and Western Asia. Like God used Paul in like a, a, an instrumental way to plant churches and See the gospel spread, and, and, and he's going, but I'm, the, I'm less than the least. Less than the least of all the saints. And to know that this was not false humility on Paul's part. You ever met somebody, and they've got the whole false humility? Well, it's just, just a humble vessel of the Lord. I don't know, and you start, they start talking about things that, the, that God's done with them, and it's like, okay, cool. Like, praise God for that. Like, whatever, God, you, you deal with that. This is not my business. But this wasn't what Paul was doing. He's not trying to make people feel bad for him. I'm the less than the least of all the saints. I'm in prison. Send help. He doesn't... He doesn't do this. This was how Paul genuinely saw himself in light of who he once was and once did. 
in light of how amazing Jesus and his grace is, and in light of how unworthy and undeserving he felt to have Jesus' salvation, to have his grace, to be called in this sort of way, commissioned in this sort of way, used in these sorts of way by Jesus. It just humbled him. And Paul's humility before the Lord made him a perfect candidate to be used by the Lord. You know, oftentimes we think we have to have it all together, then God's really going to use me. If I can just really get my act together, then God's really going to use me. And there is something to be said about a life that's holy, H-O-L-Y, and holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, if I can spell correctly, to the Lord. Someone who is really consecrated to the Lord. Their whole life is surrendered to the Lord. There is something to be said about what God does there. But we cannot, we cannot discount how important humility is in the sight of God. Right? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And Paul's going, God's given me grace. He's given me a stewardship of his grace. And that didn't, in his mind, elevate him above other people. Why? Because as he received the revelation of grace, as he preached the gospel of grace, Paul Paul didn't forget to preach grace to himself. He didn't stop realizing that he was just in need of the grace of God as anybody else was. See, that's a thing that happens sometimes. We know about grace. We've received grace. We've even talked to others about grace. But what happens is we start to distance ourselves from our need for grace. We start thinking, well, yeah, them and that person and over there and this thing and yeah, they really need God's grace. And stop realizing, God, I am just as much desperately in need of your grace in my life. When we stop preaching grace to ourselves, you and I are on the, the path to Phariseeism. You are on the path, we are on the path to just be self-righteous thinking that other people need something that we no longer need. But our need never changes. Our need never changes. So with that in mind, I think for us, I would just say, Lord, make us humble people. Make us humble. We don't like to be humbled. It's not fun. But Lord, make us humble. Keep us humble. Give us your grace and use us. Paul understood that this grace was given that he should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So God in his grace gave Paul this powerful ministry um, to Gentiles, whereas Peter's ministry was predominantly to the Jews, that those who previously were without Christ and without the citizenship and without the covenants of promise and without hope and without God, all these things that Paul 
already said were true about the Gentiles before Jesus' blood brought them near, now had the unsearchable riches of Christ being preached to them. You know, all the amazing blessings and abundance and privileges and promises that are found in a relationship with Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ that are beyond our comprehension. One, uh, th- this word even that is translated unsearchable can, can, could be said not trackable, not traceable. You can never find the end of it. You can never pin it down. It's that deep. It's that wide. It's that huge. That these things were now extended to the Gentiles because of Jesus. But I want us to consider sort of a, something additional here. Uh, an, an insight that uh, John Stott gave on verse 8. He wrote this. He said, indirectly in these past verses, the apostle has indicated two of the strongest incentives to evangelism. He began by emphasizing that the revelation and the commission which had been given to him belong indissolubly together. For what had been made known to him, he must without fail make known to others. All revealed truth is held in stewardship. It is given to be shared, not monopolized. If men cannot keep their scientific discoveries to themselves, how much less should we keep to ourselves the divine disclosures? Paul then, he says, went on to emphasize the valuable content of the message itself. He was convinced, as we must be, that Christ never impoverishes those who put their trust in him, but always immeasurably enriches them. Here then was the double obligation Paul felt First, to share God's truth, and secondly, to share Christ's riches. So what is needed today for a recovery of evangelistic zeal in the church is the same apostolic conviction about the gospel. Once we are sure that the gospel is both truth from God and riches for mankind, nobody will be able to silence us. I just thought, man, what a great insight. Because what have we been given that we're just kind of keeping to ourselves? When God's going, I'm giving it because I want other people to know and experience it. And that it is him. He's going, that's great. He's about us. And of course, he's not going, hey, I'm only giving this to you so you can then give it out to somebody else. He's going, no, I want you to know me and experience me and have my grace and experience my unsearchable riches. But it's not for us to then go, oh gosh, I'm just so glad I have it. I know that person's walking in spiritual poverty without Christ on the road to destruction. Hope God sends somebody to them. Man, it's so much easier to pray for God to send somebody else, isn't it? God, send somebody else. Lord, put somebody in their life. That's a good thing to pray. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to pray. But you know what I think of when, when I even find myself having that sort of thought is God, God in the moment going, 
that's you. You are who I've put in that person's life. You are who I've sent into their life. The gospel is to be shared. Truth from God and riches for mankind. And we keep that in mind. And we, we start to really grasp how unfathomable, unsearchable are the riches in Christ. We're not going to be able to help but talk to others about him. Because we're just going, oh my gosh, man, God is so worked in me, he's blessed me, and it's not, we're not even, I'm not even talking about the physical, the things that God has done. We go back into chapter one and we see all that we have in Christ that, that other people can experience him in that same way. It will motivate us in the best sort of way to be about the gospel with those around us. But Paul also noted in verse 9 that this grace was given to him, notice, to make all see, to illuminate for others what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. So God was using Paul, and he still uses the writings of Paul. To help believing Jews and Gentiles see, to know, to have clarity and insight regarding the fellowship of the mystery. And what's amazing is that this mystery, which Paul is giving, giving us insight into, is one that makes fellowship between Jews and Gentiles possible. Now, that word fellowship is a word that we probably heard if we've been in sort of like you know, churchy environments for long enough, and it's the word koinonia, koinonia. That word koinonia speaks of participation, sharing, communion together, where before there was only separation and division and strife. And again, no one would have seen this coming. No one would have thought that Jews and Gentiles could have this sort of closeness, this sort of sharing in Christ, because the Spirit of Christ, who is now in us, making us one, making us family, making us part of the same family, and, and sharing in the same body, and having the same promises. And yet Jesus has done it. And you know, when we think about the word fellowship, you know, what it, you know what it right off the bat means? You can't do Christianity on your own. Who are you sharing with when it's you, when it's just you? There's got to be a sharing of life. There's got to be something where God's bringing people together. Now, how that looks can be different. Culture to culture, nation to nation, Outside, inside, small group, large group, like fellowship means that there's people together and they're together with Jesus binding them together, a communing together that's possible because of what Jesus has done for us. And you know what? That can be scary for a lot of people, but man, it is how God has designed our Christian life to look. 
what he wants it to be. Us together in fellowship, participating, sharing, communing. Again, what an amazing thing that Jesus has done. The same one who created all things has now created one new humanity from the two and brought us into fellowship with him and one another. Verse 10, though, moving on. He says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the, by the church, sorry, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So besides all the amazing things we've just been considering in regards to what the mystery means for Gentiles and also how amazing that fellowship is now for the church, Jews and Gentiles together as one, we see that God had further purposes for that ministry that go beyond the the physical and the temporal, a making known by the church, by us, to the spiritual realm, principalities and powers in the heavenly places of how amazing God's manifold, or we could say many-sided, multicolored, multifaceted wisdom is. I like what William McDonald said about this. He wrote, one of God's present purposes in connection with the mystery is to reveal his manifold wisdom to the angelic hosts of heaven. Paul again uses the metaphor of a school. God is the teacher, the universe is the classroom, angelic dignitaries are the students, the lesson is on the multifaceted wisdom of God. The church is the object lesson. From heaven, the angels are compelled to admire his unsearchable judgments and marvel at his ways past finding out. They see how God has triumphed over sin to his own glory. They see how he has sent heaven's best for earth's worst. They see how he has redeemed his enemies at enormous cost conquered them by love, and prepared them as a bride for his son. They see how he has blessed them with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. And they see that through the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross, more glory has come to God and more blessing has come to believing Jews and Gentiles than if sin had never been allowed to enter. God has been vindicated Christ has been exalted, Satan has been defeated, and the church has been enthroned in Christ to share his glory. To see that God's broadcasting all of those truths about his wisdom through what he's doing in his church. And angels are just looking on, tripping out on us. Tripping out that God would do any of this this with us. Why? Because they don't know what it is to experience grace. They don't know what it is to experience salvation. But you and I do. Powerful. These things are all according to God's eternal plan, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what God has planned, he has accomplished, he is accomplishing, and he will accomplish. And not one thing will be left undone. 
But notice again in verse 12 that what Jesus, has, uh, what Jesus has provided for you and me, in whom, meaning in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Now, this might fly in the face of your feelings. You might not feel like you have a lot of access. You might not feel very bold. You might not feel very confident. But you know what's great? Your feelings aren't truth. This is truth. Our faith in Christ has given us these things. Access. You can have more access to God than you have right now if you have the Spirit of Christ living inside of you. Boldness. Courage, a freedom of speech to come, to give everything to him, to tell him everything that's in your mind, and he can handle every bit of it. And confidence, a hopeful, a state of confident hopefulness. To know even that in Romans we're told, you know, maybe we don't always feel very hopeful, but He's able to cause us to abound with hope by the power of his spirit. He's like, oh, you don't have much hope? I can, I can do that. I can work that in your life. I can bring that about. But then in verse 13, Paul closes our section by saying, therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Therefore, with all those things in mind, all of that revelation being made known, Paul's utmost concern was not for his own well-being in the tribulations, the troubles he was experiencing, but was concerned that the Ephesian believers would lose heart because of what Paul was going through. You know, oftentimes we're just like, let's, the glory can, we, we can't see the glory Tell the tribulation is gone. But how many times has God actually done something completely different? And he's like, actually, it's, it's in the tribulation that I'm going to show my glory. It's, it's, it's through the troubles that I'm going to show how powerful I am. It's, it's through the things that you're going through, in the midst of it even, where I'm going to do something that's going to glorify myself. And for Paul to go, look, guys, again, it's not your fault. You're not the reason I'm here. And don't worry about me. Because God is bringing about a glorious purpose. We might have a hard time seeing it. We, we may have a hard time seeing how how Paul's chains could be the thing that God's going to use to glorify himself, and yet that is the very thing that God wanted to use. And to know that today, as we read about all these things, we're not outsiders to the mystery. We've been brought on the inside. And if any of us are Gentiles in this room, you and I have a connection to this mystery in a way that the Jews don't have. Because we were without Christ, without the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in this world, without have a, a citizenship. And he's like, I'm going to do something completely different. 
You're now here. You're now with me. You're now in my kingdom. You're now in my family. You're now a part of my temple. You're a part of the mystery. You are one now together as one people. And to know that it's the grace of God that has brought us in. The gospel of Jesus that has saved our souls. And it's through the church of God that God is still broadcasting his glory and his fame throughout this world to bring those without Christ and without hope and without all the other things into relationship with him just as he did with us. We praise God for that. And have Julian come back up. As I said earlier, God's grace is for you. It's for me. You know, it's interesting. As many times as Paul uses the word mystery in this section that we've been looking at, he uses the word grace an equal amount of times. God's grace is for you. It's for me. It's for us. It's for right now. This means that those who have received, who have experienced the grace of God, have the opportunity to receive and experience more and more of his grace right now. And we have access to his grace by boldly and confidently approaching the throne of grace where our King Jesus, who is full of grace and truth, sits even now. And he beckons us to come. But this also means that those who have never received or experienced the grace, the salvation of God, have the opportunity to receive and experience his grace, his grace right now, his salvation right now, if they'll put their trust in Christ Jesus, becoming saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so as much as there's encouragement for us here of what we've been brought into the know about, what Jesus has accomplished for us what how beautiful this thing the church is that Jesus has created and all the grace that he has for you and for me guys can we remember not to hoard it not to hoard it but to share it to give it to tell others about it but if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus let's let's Invite the Lord to do something in you that maybe he's never done before. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you that these things, God, that you kept hidden in the past, you've now revealed. Lord, you revealed them, Lord, to your holy apostles and prophets. God, they wrote them down in the pages of scripture. Preserve them for us, God, that we can know what you've done. The grace that you've provided Lord, that we're not on the outside. There's not some secret club. But Lord, that you've made yourself knowable, accessible, approachable. And God, you've given us confidence and boldness, Lord, to come to you, to find the mercy and grace that we need all the time. And so, Lord, if we've in any way, God, hoarded your grace, hoarded the gospel, Lord, would you just 
Lord, change our thinking. God, help us to, to be bold with sharing the good news of Jesus, sharing about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Lord God, would we, Lord, see that God, your grace is not just for others, it's for us. God, we don't stop being in need of your grace. And Lord, would you make us humble men and women before you. Holy unto you, Lord God. That everything that you desire to do, Lord, you would do in and through our lives. And God, if anyone today is finding themselves in a a time of tribulation, of trouble, of difficulty, of discouragement, Lord, whatever that thing might be, Lord God, would you give them even now, Lord, an eternal perspective on their present circumstances, Lord. Help them to see, Lord, that you are with them, that you are working, that, God, you do have a plan, and that, Lord, you have glory that you're going to bring, even through the hardest of things. And so, God, would you do that? Would you meet your people this morning? Would you give grace? God, would you stir us for the things that are close to your heart? (laughs) Lord, which is the souls of people, the souls of mankind. Lord, that your heart is for the lost, but Lord, your heart is also for your church. God, help us to not Uh, God, diminish the importance of fellowship. But if there's anyone here today, you've, you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've not received his grace. This morning, God's going, my grace is for you. I want you to have it. I want you to experience it in the form this morning of my life transforming, eternity altering salvation. And if that's you, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning and you're going, that's me. I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness. I, I want his salvation. I want him to do something in me. I want his grace extended to me this morning. Is that anybody in here and you're going, that's me. Maybe even online someone's joining and they're going, that's me. I'm that person. Lord, would you meet them where they're at, God? Would they in their own hearts just cry out to you, humble themselves before you, repent of their sin, Lord, turn away from it and turn to you, believing, Jesus, that you died on the cross, confessing, Lord, you as their Savior and Lord, that you rose from the grave, inviting you in to be their Savior and Lord and God. Lord, would you take up residence in their lives? God, would you take those that are dead in sin and trespasses and would you make them alive in Christ Jesus? New birth, new life, a new creation, a new start. Lord, would you do that today? God, as we've heard about your grace, as we've received your word this morning, Lord, would we now respond with a heart of worship, God? Lord, in the songs that we sing and taking the communion elements and getting prayed for in the back. God, continue, Lord, to move in our hearts and in this place.
Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.